section 32 of Shakespeare identified this is a LibriVox recording all LibriVox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org recording by Lynn Thompson Shakespeare identified in Edward de Vere by J Thomas Looney manhood of de Vere part 2 our chief concern at this stage is with his dramatic activities how soon after his return from italy these were begun we cannot say but the fact that he appears almost immediately to have adopted the practice of absenting himself from domestic and court life and of sharing the bohemian life of literary men and play actors suggests that he was not long in beginning his dramatic apprenticeship then from this time up to about the year fifteen ninety which we take as marking in a general way the beginning of the Shakespearean output, his life was largely of this bohemian and dramatic character. Future research will probably furnish fuller details and dates of Edward de Vere's connection with the stage. Sufficient has, however, already been established to show that by the year 1580 he was already deeply committed. From the calendar of state papers, we learn that in 1580 the heads of the Cambridge University wrote to Burley, objecting to the Earl of Oxford's servants showing their cunning in certain plays which they had already performed before the Queen. By 1584, he had a company of players touring regularly in the provinces, and from this year until 1587, his company was established in London, occupying a foremost place in the dramatic world. In connection with his tours in the provinces, it is worth while remarking that in 1584, that is to say, just before settling in London, his company paid a visit to Stratford-on-Avon. William Shakespeare was by this time twenty years of age and had been married for two years. There had been a great deal of guessing respecting the date at which William Shakespeare left Stratford-on-Avon, and it is not improbable that it may have been connected with the visit of the Oxford boys. As it is the birth of twins early in 1585, which furnishes the data from which the time of his leaving Stratford has been inferred, the latter half of 1584 may indeed have been the actual time. However, these things may be. The fact is that, whether in the country or in the metropolis, it appears to have been quite recognised that the Earl of Oxford had a hand in the composition of some of the plays that his company was staging whilst others were substantially his own the year fifteen eighty which gives us the earliest evidence of his being directly implicated in dramatic work connects him also with the writer of poetry and drama and the manager of a theatrical company called antony monday and as this connection is of a most important and interesting character it must be treated at some length one peculiar fact about monday has been the attributing to him both of dramatic and poetic compositions of a superior order which competent authorities now assert could not have been written by him in order to establish this point we must first deal with matters which take us past the period of time with which we are now dealing in the year sixteen hundred there was published an important poetical anthology called england's helicon containing among others the poems of shepherd tony whose identity has been one of the much-discussed problems of Elizabethan literature. Some writers have inclined to the idea that Anthony Munday was Shepherd Tony. 
and in a modern anthology one of the best of the poems of shepherd tony beauty sat bathing by a spring is ascribed to antony monday as if no doubt existed on the point now monday has as a matter of fact published a volume of his own poetry a banquet of dainty conceits and of this the modern editor of england's helicon mr a h bullen eighteen eighty seven says quote, intrinsically the poems have little interest but the collection is on that account important as affording excellent proof that antony monday was not the shepherd tony of england's helicon monday was an inferior writer unquote. He then gives a passage of ten lines from Monday's poems and adds, quote, Very thin gruel this, and there are eight more stanzas. After reading these dainty conceits, I shall stubbornly refuse to believe that Monday could have written any of the poems attributed in England's Helicon to the shepherd Tony. Unquote. We now revert to the period proper to this chapter, the years approaching fifteen eighty in which de vere was serving as it were the first term of his dramatic apprenticeship and we ask for a very careful attention to the following passages taken from the cambridge history of english literature volume five chapter ten quote, antony monday a hewer and trimmer of plays unquote. Quote, of the lesser elizabethan dramatists monday is the most considerable interesting and typical unquote. Quote, these plays of monday have no genius in them unquote. Quote, a translation from the italian may be given as the beginning of monday's work it is a comedy of two italian gentlemen victoria's song at her window and fidele's answer are of real poetic charm and fidele's denunciation of woman's fickleness is exactly in the strain as it is in the meter of the rhyming rhetoric of love's labours lost rhyming alexandrines and fourteen syllabled lines are generally employed but in fidele's speech special seriousness and dignity of style are attained by the use of rhyming ten syllabled lines in stanzas of six lines the venus of de vere's of women stanza which is unexpected is the idiomatic english of the translation for monday's prose translations do not display any special power in transforming the original into native english monday in fifteen eighty and in his earliest published works is anxious to proclaim himself servant of the earl of oxford the earl of oxford's company of players acted in london between fifteen eighty four and fifteen eighty seven in a certain play as it hath been sundry times played by the right honourable earl of oxenford the lord great chamberlain of england his servant the six-line stanza occurs much of it might be monday's work but he cannot have written the sonorous blank verse in the historic scenes one of monday's plays is a humble variation of the dramatic type of a midsummer night's dream and we find in another of monday's plays phrases that may have rested in the mind of shakespeare Unquote. we feel entitled to say that the writer of these passages the reverend ronald bain m a was simply trembling on the brink of the discovery we claim to have made the sentences quoted are not to be found in the close proximity to one another in which we have here placed them they do however occur in the same chapter in the same work and are all from the same pen 
a careful examination of the passages in these plays of mondays which could not have been written by him and containing passages which might have rested in the mind of shakespeare would be necessary to make the present statement complete they will need to be compared with shakespeare's work on the one hand and with the de vere work on the other for the present we are content to let it rest upon the authority quoted and ask the reader to observe the number and important character of the connecting links which Anthony Munday thus establishes for us between Shakespeare and Edward de Vere. For, if the passages in question fulfil the description given by Mr. Bain, there seems but one explanation possible, in view of the whole course our investigations have so far taken, and that is that prior to 1580 the Earl of Oxford was learning his business as dramatist, trying his prentice hand, so to speak, upon inferior plays then current collaborating with inferior writers interpolating passages of his own into plays produced by his employee anthony munday such passages as might have rested in the mind of shakespeare as we are given one example of verse that appears in a play of mondays we shall reproduce it along with corresponding passages from de vere and shakespeare notwithstanding the repetition it involves one monday's play lo hear the common fault of love to follow her that flies and fly from her that makes pursuit with loud lamenting cries fidele loves victoria and she hath him forgot virginia likes fidele best and he regards her not two de vere's poems the more i followed one the more she fled away as daphne did full long ago apollo's wishful prey the more my plaints I do resound, the less she pities me. The more I sought, the less I found, yet mine she meant to be. As the verse in Monday's play exactly reproduces the situation of the lovers in A Midsummer Night's Dream, we quote the lines of the latter play dealing with the situation. 3. Shakespeare Midsummer Night's Dream Act 1. I frown upon him, yet he loves me still. Oh, that your frown would teach my smile such skill. I give him curses, yet he gives me love. Oh, that my prayers could such affection move. The more I hate, the more he follows me. The more I love, the more he hateth me. We are content to leave these matters to the reflection of the reader, and, as a last reference to Anthony Munday, merely point out the interesting fact that the recently discovered manuscript which forms the subject of sir e maund thompson's work on the penmanship of william shakespeare is an interpolation into a play by anthony munday end of section thirty two